Sanderings fam, I've got my friend Laura Donald, who is the founder and CEO of Access Talent Partners. So back in the day, I consulted with Laura before I started working at my current company, Jolty Consulting. And I was always impressed with Laura's anti-racist equity lens in terms of how she did search. And most of all, she's just dope people. So we got a chance to dig in about her journey to build the kind of company that allows her and women of color to heal and do great work. So check it out. She dropped some real gems about how executive search really can be equitable. Peace. Rodericks fam, got my friend, former work colleague and co-conspirator extraordinaire, Laura Donald's on the mic. Laura, welcome to the Ronda Rings podcast. How are you doing? Well, thank you so much, Ron. This is so fun to do. It's great to be here. Well, as you know, Laura, we've known each other, what is it, a decade plus? We met through our good friend, Kelly Das. I want to say at a movie theater for some movie that I think we bumped it. I don't think Kelly and I were planning to, like we ran into each other. And I want to say this might be 05, 06. She was working at New Leader, so was I. And you were very good friends with her because y'all knew each other through Brooklyn, Ed Circles, through Ed Pioneers, right? Was that the connection to you, Laura and Kelly Dawson? You have a better memory than I do. <laughs> but you're oh. then talking about almost 20 years ago. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember what happened yesterday. So um, shout out to Kelly Doss, who's um, doing big things. You're reading Partners these days. Uh, we'll have to make sure we send her Love this you, podcast baby. once it's recorded. Yeah. Um, so why don't we get on it, Laura? Tell the audience your story. So I have to start by saying, admitting something. I have been interviewing people for a living for almost that whole time we've known each other. And mm. I hate this question. <laughs> but I'm not, this is not an interview, Laura. This no, no, is just no. two friends chatting. No, the what's <laughs> your story, right? And it's, it's mm. weird. And I, I just want to offer this because I think mm. for me, sharing my story, what's made me so uncomfortable, candidly, is a deeply internalized sense of not enough not belonging, right? So I have had to do this prompt in many different, you know, team building contexts, different organizations, and I have struggled profoundly to share comfortably. That's a work in progress. I'm getting better at it. So I'll start by saying I am a proud Bay Area, California native. I am a child of the early 1970s. Mm, daughter to of, the 70s. <laughs> I won't talk about the big birthday coming up this year. Okay. A biracial daughter of a black father from the South, white mom from the Midwest, who kind of converged on San Francisco in the 1960s. You get the picture. And I grew up kind of code switching between two worlds, East Oakland and Hayward with my dad. And they separated when I was young. And 
over the hills, as uh, you might recognize if you're from that area, um, to a very white affluent area, Walnut Creek, California. So again, I think I deeply internalized this sense of feeling and probably overinflated the sense of feeling different, like I didn't belong. But my parents were educators, so I had an early and lifelong desire to have a career of impact like they did. I started out working in different school settings shortly after college and then landed in New York, NYU, for graduate school. NYU! NYU. And the rest is kind of history. But I think, you know, where my professional and personal journey really, really intersect and kind of take off and come alive is leaving my education career to begin solo entrepreneurship and solo consulting, and then beginning a firm that's become Access Talent Partners. And so now, you know, my story is really about nurturing something in myself, for my family, for my practice, which is radically different than what we've experienced before. And as you know, centers liberation. And it is a mother <laughs> of a lift and honor and, and mm. challenge. So that's my story in a nutshell. I want to get to what you're trying to create at Access Talent Partners with this culture of liberation that you're designing for a women of color owned, women of color led, predominantly women of color, you know, executive search firm. But let me rewind back. So you saw, it seems like there was an inflection point. You know, you are from a family of educators. You decided to get into education yourself and then you went to solopreneuring and then built this company. What was the, mm -hmm. how did that happen? Yeah, yeah. So to be really candid, I came to kind of thriving in my career a little bit later, right? I had these scattered teaching experiences. I had random restaurant experiences. You know, there I was doing all sorts of different things that really started congealing, I guess, with graduate school at NYU and then getting turned on to um, studying charter schools and education reform, right? Being a little bit of an ed reform student at that time in the early 2000s, that whole Klein, Chancellor, charter school explosion, period. And my career was really rewarding and new, right? There's a lot of energy. So I had some great experiences working with families in Harlem and after school programs, working at Ed Pioneers, which was a pivotal, deeply, deeply meaningful experience, kind of set me on the path that I took. Mm. And then I landed at a charter management organization where I really struggled to fit in. And I think it kicked up all of those early childhood wounds of, uh, I'm not enough, I don't mm. belong, right? Mm. And it was derailing, right? I had some new purpose, some a bit of affirmation, you know, feeling of really being aligned in my work in those prior organizations. And that kind of fell off in this new environment I was in. So I didn't last and I knew I wasn't going to last, but I was 
maybe just subconsciously tapping into this idea of there must be something different, right? Mm. I have to figure out something different. So that was the only thing I was going for and holding as I decided to transition from this organization. And (laughs) it happened to collide with becoming pregnant and expecting my first child. So life overlaps with uh, what's happening in the professional world all the time, right? Yeah, Mm. it just it only accelerated and intensified this. I have to work differently. I'm about to become a mom. I can't work this hard and be miserable, right? So that was the inspiration for becoming a consultant. And we were partners in those early days, right? Just trying to do the solo consulting life. Sometimes you're doing it alone. Sometimes you're doing it with with colleagues who are independent too or hustling a little bit on the side. That's that was really the the roots there. So walk us through you were, you know, solopreneuring for a bit. What made you decide to go from solopreneuring, maybe yeah. adding a person or two to mm-hmm. what you've started building at Access Talent Partners, which to geek out for our audience, you're building something that I watch as a friend, as a fellow co-conspirator. That seems to be the dream, although I know that from our conversations, that work of building what you're trying to do is no one's done it before, quote unquote. So I, I, so we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later, but that solopreneurship to like building a company, yeah. what's that been? Yeah, yeah. I'm so just honored to talk about this because I had a lot of inspirations along the way from other people. First, there's kind of an alignment when the, with the universe when you make you know, decisions that are based on intuition and disrupting or doing something different, I think, right? When you're beginning the journey to align with purpose in a different way. So as soon as I made this choice to be independent, right, and was just getting into a rhythm of working independently for years with other people, right, there was such liberation in that, It was exquisite. I adored it. The ability to work, design my work life in the way that I chose, to select clients in the way that I chose, to select colleagues, right? Mm. It was absolutely beautiful. And I wanted this for other people, right? So what started happening was just constantly people, often women, were reaching out and asking how are you doing this? I want to do this too. So in those Mm. early days, it was a ton of just me sharing and encouraging with other people. This is possible, right? It's a huge risk. This is how I ride that roller coaster of risk. This is how I kind of join forces and collaborate with other people to make it work. So it was a very inspirational time, right? Mm. And, you know, in those early days, we were consulting together. I was consulting with Kai Adderley. Shout out to Kai. Worldwide Kai, who is killing it right now, doing a sports thing with Lil Wayne's uh, company. (laughs) I mean, he's doing it. Proud of him. And I was also beginning to collaborate more with a dear friend and former, you know, Ed Pioneer's colleague connection, Lenise Flowers Brissett. Oh, and, shout out to Lenise. Yeah. Oh my God, it's been a minute. Uh, I know, 
I know. Yeah. And so really, this was pre-2016 and that summer of, you know, the many, many shootings of Black men by police and then mm. the first round of Trump shenanigans. But in, in those days, it's all of you and in particular, Lenise, who helped just start inspiring this for us, by us vision, right? Like mm. straight up, all of us were about recruiting leaders of color, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. It didn't even have to be our mission. It's just what motivated us, right? Where we wanted to put our energy. But I feel like it was that early crew that helped me begin, you know, imagining this space of being a paradigm, right? Whether it was just this little tiny consulting practice that people moved in and out of to consult in, or whether it became this more kind of powerful search firm. But if being a place led by people of color that focused on people of color, right? That was the transition. That's when it moved from being just my consultant practice to Axis Talent Partners. Axis being the center, which is our people <laughs> that mm. everything else revolves around, right? Mm. And then, you know, not long after that, it was that summer that I just talked about, Trump announcement for his first run for the presidency. And then it started becoming, you know, just the focus on racial justice and that mm. idea for us by us. We are centering, this was our view then and my view then, we are centering ourselves, people of color, unequivocally. That's what Axis is about. So that was, you know, many years ago now. And I think that honing in on the focus like that has really mm. characterized and set the stage for the rest of the journey. It created an early just guiding energy and mission for the practice. It, of course, created a track record and a reputation. Yeah. And then it really set the stage for not only is this going to be our unequivocal focus, but we're going to do that within too. We are going to exist as a paradigm of work that centers women of color who have many of us felt dismissed, not enough, not like mm. we belonged. You can see all the like self-healing I've been trying to do by creating yeah. this, right? Yeah, And I Absolutely. want to speak to that. That's one of my, you know, ronderings and, and, and lessons about trying to, the journey in leadership and the connection to trying to heal with it, right? Mm. And what is required of us when we're really intentionally, authentically trying to center liberation and leadership. So that was the transition point. And then really the women, Devin Humphrey, of course, was came on board right after that stage and just fundamentally helped grow the practice from a structural standpoint. Yeah. And it was, you know, then Crystal Combs and yes. then for years, it was us 
deciding we're going to try to do something different while doing client services work. And then as soon as we brought in kind of our first cohort of other full-time women, it was these women then amplifying, right? Bringing to life even more what we were trying to do. Mm. That's so, so beautiful, Laura. My gosh. So let me, let me, let me contextualize the questions. This is going to sound like a multi-part question somewhat by design, but I'm trying not to make it a multi-part question because it doesn't sound like it, right? And so I think what's, what's really powerful is something you said earlier, right? Censoring the experiences of people of color. I'm going to give a quick preview to our friend and also fellow co-conspirator and brilliant visionary, Efi Walker. The podcast episode that will be coming out is going to be titled, When Values Are Clear, Decisions Are Made. Your values are unapologetically clear, Laura, and yet, as we know, turning values is action systems, policy structures, mm. inner work, healing. is <laughs> That's hot. It's hot. Walk us through what that's been like when you're, you've made these values clear. What's mm. been the work, right? And you can tie into some of the things you talked about, two other concepts, your intuition yeah. and riding the roller coaster of risk. So think about all this stuff, censoring the experiences of people of color. Right. And how that actually looked like for right. us by us, right? Because right. there's not many examples I can think of. Like we're, we, we're all trying to, you're, you're trying to build something that does not exist. Right, right. And shout out to Efi too, right? Um, another just complete disruptor, right? Who's been uh, an inspiration for me as well. So first I would say having a really, crystal clear, unapologetic, unequivocal focus and values doesn't necessarily mean that you have all of the systems, the strategic plan, (laughs) the (laughs) processes, right, to get everyone what they need to sustainably live and deliver and realize that mission. In other words, this work is so hard, right? Kind of this irony or paradox in liberation-focused work is exactly what you said. Everyone that is attempting it knows you're trying to imagine something different. Whether it's just in little pockets, imagining something different in the way that you operate or what your entire mission is and what you're trying to deliver, right, to your communities, that work reimagining something different is riddled with tensions at every turn to navigate, riddled with trade-offs. And like equity work in general, requires constant examination, constant building. It never ends, right? So for us, we're trying to get the footing of making that ongoingness of the work while doing client services to just exist (laughs) and financially sustain, figuring out how to do that so we're not utterly depleting and exhausting ourselves is a central challenge. Yeah. Did I even answer your question, Ron? Not yet, but we're we're getting there. No, keep it real, right? So no, but you're getting there. So let 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 me dig underneath the hood a little bit. And so let's start with what you do on client services, then mm-hmm. we'll move to like internal culture, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm making an observation, generally speaking, right? This includes where I work. 
This mm-hmm. is everywhere, I think, right? That has an unapologetic equity focus is that always easier to do it externally with clients than is to look in the mirror at yourselves mm-hmm. and do it internally. Mm-hmm. So there's always what I like to call a gap. Mm-hmm. And how do you get that asymptote? Because I don't think you ever close the gap to be less and less and less and less. So mm-hmm. to focus on the external, obviously your track record at Access Talent Partners for placing leaders of color mm-hmm. is stellar. I mean, I know it's why, because oftentimes we at Agility might lose out to y'all. It, mm-hmm. it happens, right? Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious about the censoring of people of color and client services, aside from what I think most prospective clients look at, which is how many, what, what's your track record mm-hmm. placing leaders of color? What, mm-hmm. what is it in your process that centers people of color from the client experience? Mm, yeah. Yeah. I love demystifying this because it's not rocket mm. science as you and I know. <laughs> share, share the um, a simplified version of the rocket science, Laura. Please do. And I definitely want to come back to the decision-making question because it's so important. Yes. It's so hard. And I'm so happy to just share our candidly our struggles there. But first, our track record is right now and it's always our target. We 85% of our placements are people of color, right? And that we define that right now as both BIPOC and the spectrum and continuum of Asian identities, right? We do a lot of work in the LGBTQT space, right? So often we're looking for underrepresented identities as well. But that's our one of our North Stars, right? It's, it's why we exist. So centering people of color in a search process for us begins with making that known We have to do that less now. People are seeking us now. You know, our work is so word of mouth. So people are coming to us when there's that shared commitment, right? Yes, yes. But still, right? We work with, uh, you know, large search committees, people on all different points of the spectrum of readiness (laughs) to really, (laughs) you know, really, really center that commitment in the way that we think about it, right? So what it means for us is that we have to share that commitment with the clients that we work with, right? Then it means the way that we think about research is, and I'll just say this plainly, you have to preference in your research people of color. I mean, Laura, that's the oversimplified version of like, how do you build diverse candidate pools? Well, you got to stack the deck. No you one likes to hear that. That's the honest truth. You Ain't research it? that. Now, look, we've been doing this for 10 years. It means our database, our candidate network, our client network, our professional friend network is very diverse, right? Yes. So we leverage ours. We leverage our candidates, our former clients, right? Yes. Our professional Mm. friends. There's a long, there's a decade long uh, network that's been focused on building relationships with people of color, right? So certainly that's, that's important. But as we know in search firm work, you spend a lot of time doing research and outreach and, and trying to cultivate interest. So when you are building pipelines, right? You really want to think about reaching out to as many people of color as possible. 
right? That That's a no-brainer. But then the next really critical piece is looking at your application funnel. If you're getting all these folks of color interested in applying for your role and they're not making it through your interview, your application and interview process, it means something needs to be examined. So we are constantly looking at our progression rate of people of color through the process. The other thing, and this is also no brainer, is that you have to anchor and have almost rigid fidelity to core competencies when you're doing this work, right? So that you are laser focused on these are the qualifications. This is how we've articulated it. This specifically is what we're evaluating. And this is how we're going to use all of this to weed out other things that do not reflect those qualifications, actually. Yeah, this for me is the $5 billion question. This happens so much. You know what question I'm about to ask you? This adherence, and I'll use rigidity to a, a, a competency rubric, that standard equity practice in hiring. Mm-hmm. And yet, as we know, clients don't always like following the rules. They try to find ways around. So how do you... In your experience, taking this value, centering Mm -hmm. the experiences of people of color and centering people of color, Mm -hmm. how do you inevitably support clients through that pushback of like, wait a second, Laura, Mm -hmm. I want to look for this. Like, Mm -hmm, what what do those conversations look like from your experience? Yeah, happy to share. I want to say something else about centering candidates. You know, as also we know, transparency is a cornerstone of any equity practice, right? So... Mm. The core competencies and criteria are as transparently as possible for every single constituent in this process. The organization staff that are just reading about it, the interviewers who are going to participate in it, and then certainly every candidate and prospective candidate. The other important practice for us in equity-centered executive search is centering candidate experience, right? It's taking time to hold candidates through a process with dignity and transparency. So at every turn, we're sending in advance what we will be covering focus area-wise in every stage of the interview process. We debrief afterward to understand what the experience like was like and help prepare for the next stage. So that's also centering of transparency and ensuring people are prepared and clear all the way through is critical, right? Mm. But to answer a question about clients, we name in advance, this feels rigid. You're not going to like it, right? (laughs) (laughs) The power of naming things is so real and affirming, right? The experience is going to feel confining right? So the way we balance is, again, we're, we're talking about kind of a strict adherence to what you all, search committee people, have helped us articulate as core competencies. And yes, yes. we're going to be sticklers on it through interview A, B, C. And then when you, this, this is the kind of balancing that we offer for committees. 
once you are in the final stage, right? And you've done, you know, three to four layers of this strict competency review, and we're facilitating you to debrief from a strict competency sharing perspective, right? Then once you've done those evaluations and have a strong foundation of where they meet and where they don't, and you're moving into serious consideration, then you can begin, and this is what we tell them, the less scripted uh, interview experiences, right? And this may be spending time with candidates, with your organization's internal or confidential materials, right? Letting them seeing in advance, just having candid conversations about where you are as an organization, pain points, challenges, right? What they're going to be walking into, starting to get their reflections. Frankly, it becomes less evaluative at that point, And we name this too, but it's that opportunity that interviewers are hungry for, which is kind of connecting with people as humans in not such a forced bound scripted way. But we don't let them do it until the end when they've gathered mm. the evidence on competencies. What are the trade-offs of that? I'm curious because this is something we're, we're, we're actively considering where I work right now at Agility, right? Is we're trying to think about how do we redesign how we're doing our hiring processes with clients to be more candidate-centric, more mm -hmm. people of color-centric. So, because that sounds like a trade-off you've actively thought about waiting until the end, yeah. right? So I'm curious about what that wrestling of trade-offs are. Yeah, I mean, so the thing, especially with CEO and, and ED searches, boards and search committees are not going to be comfortable, right, making a hire ultimately unless they've had that time with candidates that feels less bound, if you will, by this super scripted <laughs> interview guide where we're really heavy handed, right? And, and having people, you know, ask extremely connected core competency questions, reporting out how they heard evidence of things demonstrated, how they didn't, why, all of that. So the trade-off, the thinking, the logic for us is that if they've done the work of aligned core competency, aligned interviewing, and have a strong foundation there. It includes the reference interviewing feedback, right? Yes. And they are ready to make an assessment of yes, candidates demonstrate our core competencies really powerfully. That's the point, that's the pivot point for us. And this is the, the trade-off space, right? You've done the equity practice, the core competency alignment, interviewing and evaluating. Now let's have you both sides, right? And this is what we name for candidates to both candidates, finalists at that point and committees to really go deeper, to mutually suss out um, if this is going to be a good fit. A lot of what you talk about reminds me of all the different matchmaking shows I watch on Netflix on cable TV. There seems to be something about that process where you're the final two about to put a ring on potentially let's now really open it up, right? We've gone through all these experiences and things mm -hmm. that are a bit more, mm -hmm. as you said, heavy-handed, very scripted. And now mm -hmm. we're going to let y'all free for a little bit because we've already established a foundation, right? Like any of y'all could be a match, but let's, let's do, I'm interpreting maybe what like some of your intuition and other things now to become a part of the process of how, of how the matching happens. I would actually suggest 
that we're still trying to bound it, right? And so this is what we know is needed for leaders coming into a, a new role in an ED or a CEOC, right? Leaders of color, especially if they are leaders, ED or CEO leaders for the first time. That conversation is about, you know, we ideally are authentic and honest the entire process about what the organization is struggling with. Yes. That is the opportunity for potentially the search committee or the board to share more than they have at that point if they haven't shared everything, right? It's really a more laying everything out. And getting the sense in that way, not, oh, do I like your personality? Do I want to hang out with you over over lunch? It's like, let me be really real. These are warts and all. Here are big um, pain points right now. Here are struggles. Here's how we're thinking about them. Here is how we're thinking about supporting you. What really that conversation should be the precursor to the mutual designing of the long onboarding process, right? Mm, Boards and committees should really be thinking about that pivot from the hardcore, superscripted core competency interviewing to the beginning, the onboarding relationship. Let me pivot now, Laura. Yeah. What does this look like internally? I think this is um, a battle many of us... um, struggle with to be quite imperfect at figuring out what this these values of liberation mean for internal I know, culture. I know. Here's the other theme. I mean, this for me is the big revelation about liberatory culture is that at every turn, you are defining it. You are reimagining it. You are intentionally choosing what's different. You're also intentionally choosing What's conventional, right? What may even be like traditionally dominant culture stuff? Those have to be intentional, conscious choices so they're not harmful. But the idea is that there is no prescribed roadmap for you. There is not a framework you adopt. You have to design it. It's really hard. And to answer, to speak to something else that you mentioned, right? It is. We all know this in our work, right? Even people of color led, majority people of color, you know, contexts, there is so much deprogramming we all have to do in the way of work, Mm -hmm. right? To really unwind from white supremacy practice. So it is much easier to look out right? And help others with work than look within, which is the absolute fundamental place you have to start in any liberation work or any equity work, right? It's the reflection within. So for us, and I will just name really candidly, we struggle holding the tensions of being a client services for-profit entity Yes. (laughs) (laughs) With centering liberatory culture values, right? With giving people, with trying to unwind from urgency culture, right? With giving people enough clarity to thrive in their work without over prescribing, right? Giving people enough structure 
and process and systems, again, without over, again, prescribing the one way in which people should work. We are constantly at every turn balancing something that may feel at odds, right? Like bringing in enough money to exist with trying to give people enough flexibility and white space in their work life and understanding and support so that they are not totally depleted, unable to show up as themselves and thrive, unable to imagine how they want to lead, right? I mean, part of Mm. liberatory culture is shared leadership, right? Uh. It is so, it's, it's hard. We are all holding the unconscious paradigms of dominant culture work practice. So while we're desperately trying to operate in shared leadership ways, guess what our default is? Hierarchy. Yeah. Yeah. And, hmm. yeah. So the way it looks is an up and down, right? Sometimes we have more space to dedicate to it. Sometimes we have less. So it's focus on moving forward some, then have to like deep dive and just be in search work exclusively. Then coming back and trying to move this thing along, right? Trying to practice shared leadership right here on this project with this meeting, or it is, it's a collection of effort. The idea is with all of this practicing of it, with all of this developing of a culture of trust and sharing feedback, we're not great at sharing direct feedback yet, right? With the structuring ourselves to be at the right size financially and the way we operate to support ourselves, with all of these things, all of these practicing that we will get into a better flow of living liberatory culture values, of bringing in enough money, of practicing shared leadership more often than not. (laughs) And that may sound, right, like a, a totally fuzzy, not super specific goal, but there is really no endpoint. It's gonna be an ongoing work of trying again to get to the place where we're financially sustainable and practicing the things that we want to practice again majority of time. That's such a God, I I probably eight thousand questions. There's such a constant tension between making sure people could pay their rent and then this idea of like what the space and feeling like you have the autonomy and flexibility to yes. do your work, right? There, there's that, it's a battle, right? Because let, let's be clear, if you're not bringing enough food on the table, like you don't want to ever have the conversation like, oh, well, we turned some things down, there's not enough. Because then you can't practice That's those right. concepts if you don't bring in clients, which I'd imagine at times, depending on like, like the tension I think we all often have in client services that in the ideal world, you want to bring in the clients that more aligned to your values you're not and every once in a while sometimes you take in a client because you got to bring in some cash like you know my spotty sense is this gonna be a pain in the ass you do it because like oh wait how much is that search a word 75 <laughs> and you do it and then yet you know like and then sometimes you're surprised it's not as and i put bad in quotes as bad as you think but it's also like you know you're bringing in work where like the very delicate ecosystem of like keeping your liberatory culture and, right, and, and, right. and, and, and bringing in revenue. Like sometimes you're like, you could be bringing in work at times. It's like, mm, ah, you make some That's choice right. points that don't always feel as good as if you're 
pipe is robust, right? That's right. That's right. It's navigating tensions again at every turn. And really, you know, for us, and this is where we just have to and strive to get better and better, it is about the intentionality of making decisions, right? With eyes open. And it is about being transparent with the whole team and engaging the whole team on trade-offs and decision-making, right? And it's an all of us reorienting to this idea of, you know, things being mutually exclusive yes, and learning the nuance of holding tension. Well, Laura, I want to pivot a little more deeply. Something you talked about earlier in our conversation was this idea of going through your own healing journey. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, right? Because the the observation I would strongly make in my own lived experience and talking to many other amazing leaders like you, leaders that I've placed, clients I've worked with, is that when folks don't do their inner work, Mm -hmm. talking libertarian culture sounds like Mm -hmm. amazing, but Mm -hmm. if you're not willing to examine yourself and how you're showing up, especially in your, Mm -hmm. the end of it all, in a shared leadership model, you sign the checks. You're the boss. <laughs> so what's been the inner work healing journey you've had to do as a leader to make yeah. sure that Access Talent Partners is one where there's shared leadership, this liberatory culture? Yeah, yeah. It's such a good question, Ron. And again, just to speak plainly and and kind of, you know, candidly, that journey will never end. Yeah, that's right. And it's also fits and starts, right? Like Mm. I think I've been doing over the years, a lot of practices of self-examination and self-reflection and healing, whether it's executive coaching, whether it's therapy, whether it's Mm -hmm. somatic practice and healing, but there's a dynamism, right? And just life in general. So the thing I set out to do and hold looks really different and requires really different things of me now at a team of about to be 12 than it did when we were three or six. And what I have to recommit to, and I think this will always be true, there's, there's a recommitment that has to happen to your own learning and healing. Otherwise, I'm not meeting the constantly shifting and evolving things that the practice requires of me. So concretely, for example, now I've been on a, now this is true for many of us over the last three years, let's be clear, Mm -hmm. the survival mode, the triage spin cycle state Mm -hmm. where it is very difficult to tap into your own wise mind your own intuition and have the kind of clarity and line of sight into your own adaptive strategies or wounded practices because you're on spin cycle. And so that, frankly, I've been on that mode for a long time, but it's really kicked up the last year. As you know, I'm taking a sabbatical this summer in two weeks. So and excited for you. It is. And it, it it's an extraordinary gift to be able to do. I have absolutely no hesitation in the ability of my team to hold everything that is required of, of holding this practice. But there's so much of my unhealthy patterning, right, that I have to work with 
And not only taking a sabbatical, like the guilt I feel for doing it when other people are tired too, but there's frankly some safety that I feel in a spin cycle, right? Because I don't have to step off and do the and and be in that clear place of observation and really do the examining required to be leading in the right way. All that to say my my healing work can't end. I really have to go deep this summer to access like a new place to engage in like the next stage of healing and leadership development to just show up the way that I need to, not only in my work life, but my my home life too. There's something about, you talk about this concept of healing that is dynamic, right? There's no, and my intent wasn't, of course, to ask you for a cookie cutter answer, right? And I didn't want one from you and you didn't give one, right? I think what we're talking about in terms of healing is intentionally contextual. It's gonna mm-hmm. change dependent on how life changes, how things mm-hmm. look within what, the people you're working with at Access Talent Part and what mm-hmm. they're dealing with. And so I often think about it almost as a as a life force understanding of our interconnectedness in the universe, right? Mm-hmm. One of the concepts I'm playing with is a very it's not just a Philippine value, but I think it is a human value of like interconnectedness, shared mm-hmm. unity. This um the word is called kapwa. Mm-hmm. So I think when we practice kapwa and, sh- and, and understand that we what, what I feel, you feel, what you feel, others feel, mm-hmm. and that in any moment of time, those things are constantly shifting. Therefore, mm-hmm. healing is shifting at all times. And therefore, this mm-hmm. concept of using the song from Frozen by Elsa to let go and to let, to, to feel, don't fear, right? That's a big part of, feel, of healing too, right? Is to understand that what we're feeling is not something we should be blocking, right? And to like, hold that, let others have space to hold that as leaders and to be really honest about then the decisions that you're making based on these values that you've set, right? Because Mm -hmm. the healings that like, there are going to be people like ultimately who want to opt out for whatever reason that might have nothing to do with who you're all trying to build and access Mm -hmm. talent partners, right? Mm -hmm. We're just like, I need Mm -hmm. something different, right? Mm -hmm. And so their healing may also mean that they decide to choose a different path themselves that Mm -hmm. means not being at your at your firm. That's right. And and even that cycle is one of healing, right? Because as people come in, as people come out, right, there's always this dynamic environment of change and having people then on a deeper level embrace that part of the healing process is understanding that how many memes have said change is inevitable, right? But mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. embrace the concept of change not as something that's going to put you in a spin cycle, but that we do live in one, right? But you also have the Mm -hmm. option of deciding how much you want to come in and out of it. So. Absolutely, Ron. I mean, that's beautifully put. I I want to pull on it through a few threads there. First, you know, I love the girl dad Disney references. (laughs) I got so many. I didn't bring my Moana reference in. I can bring Princess and the Frog. I got more. I got a whole lot. A whole lot. It is absolutely true. And there's so much, I mean, we all know the adage of oxygen mask first, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. But as, as a leader and, and to speaking to the mutuality and the interconnectedness, right? I've been thinking about this so much with my team. What we're trying to do is be in 
authentic and healthy relationship with each other, right? With all of our community, but it starts with ourselves. It starts with each other. If I can't be in healthy relationship with myself, operating from a healed, nurtured place, I cannot do that for my team. So as the leader, and this is something I'm deeply aware of, I have to be bringing the right energetic, right, orientation to them and to the work. And I have to be, you know, I I wouldn't say that we're ever healed, but I have to be coming from the grounded, centered, healing, focused place of energy so that we can orient to each other in that way. I have to constantly work on, and for me right now to do that, I have to step out to do that because I'm so depleted and I know, I know I don't have it. Yeah. But that is something that I'm just thinking about a lot, right? The influence I have, the energy that's set in the team and how I can facilitate and nurture that right relationship or that healthy interconnectedness, right? Well, Laura, we're getting towards the end credits of this rondering episode. And so title of the podcast is Ronderings. What's your rondering? Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's really just what we've been talking about because I've been thinking about it so much. And it's how do we truly heal and cultivate our own liberation so that enough so that we can bring it to other people? especially if we're in any kind of leadership position. I'm going to continue wrestling with and engaging with that question. I am so honored to be in community with other co-conspirators like you, to be in community with the women of my practice, even though, and this is part of my own healing, even though I still don't feel enough and I am constantly telling them, you're enough. In this place, you're enough. Mm, Amen. I have to feel it myself. I can't need them to affirm that for me. Yeah. So I will be continuing just to, you know, share what I'm learning and lean on, right, our community for just reflections and advice and guidance on, you know, balancing that self-leadership journey first, to then be supportive of a shared liberatory leadership environment, right? Well, Laura, I can't wait to hear how you engage in your sabbatical, how you continue your self-healing journey. You know, you and I talk about it all the time. People need to hear from you more, Laura Donald. (laughs) Seriously, like, you know, Thank you, Ron, for just, you know, you know, I've become a total introvert, right? And no, no. I, I love talking about this, as you know, I love our conversations, as you know, so we'll have to do a post sabbatical. Um, yeah, the Rothering's podcast ain't going anywhere. I'm telling you when folks are like, wait a second, this started off on just uh, being on it's a Netflix show now? Oh, word? Like, Oh, it's all. I mean, like, look, I'm be bringing a whole bunch of y'all back. Right. And I love how you imagine something different all the time. Right. We we need that. We need the vision just to inspire each other with the different visions on making it look different. 
Absolutely. Well, Laura, before I let you go, is there anything you want to shout out to the audience about you, your work that people should know about? Yeah. I mean, I will just take a minute to acknowledge the incredible women of my practice and offer that, of course, our mission is front and center, really living and doing equity, truly equity-centered search work for our clients. And we're absolutely word of mouth and so appreciate when people recommend us right? We're, we're lining up all of our fall commitments. So it's a really good time to, to reach out to us for that. But the other thing we're trying to do in the world is just be the example of a different kind of paradigm of work. And um, we feel like there's power in that, right? So if those two things reach out to us for conversations on the one, for actual search services on the other. Yeah. AccessTalentPartners.com, correct? That's right. Yeah. Go reach out to my friend Laura and her amazing team. Laura, I'm I, I'm just very blessed and humbled that you are a guest on this Ronda Rings podcast. Many more conversations to come, but Ronda Rings fam, there's always more to come here because I got a lot of dope people to put on the mic. So check y'all out later. Peace. Ron, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, Laura. Check y'all later. There you have it, Rounderings fam. Laura Donald said it best. She created a search process for people of color by censoring us, by censoring our experiences and designing a process that is more transparent, that is more centered on people's humanity. And in order to do that, You've got to go on your own journey and figure out what that not only looks like for yourself to heal, but also what that means to bring people together in a space to do that healing as well. And so transformation is not easy, folks. Doing these processes with clients is not easy, but I got to tell you, Laura is the epitome of trying it, building something that has not been created. So Ron Durings fam, appreciate y'all listening and check us out for the next episode.